The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding the delivering, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who is speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all, all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by, my, <laughs> and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen, seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voice, voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. That's right. God, we thank you that you are the God of redemption, that you are the God of revival, that you are the God of restoration, Lord, and resurrection. Father, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us in times where we decide to do our own things and we try to do things to justify that we know more, more than you, that we can do things on our own 
But man, I thank you for always being welcome when we find ourselves in needing of you, in your grace and your love. Be with us today, Lord. Open our hearts, open our minds, Lord, to what you're about to teach us, what you're about to tell us through Randall, Lord. I thank you for your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, hey. All right, good morning, everyone. Again, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Acts 22, uh, verses, uh, we're going to look at 1 through 21. Um, but if you're just joining us, uh, my name is Randall, the pastor of Grace City. Um, also, we've been going through the book of Acts uh, for almost about nine months now. Uh, we're almost finished, and so we're going to be finishing up here uh, over this next month, uh, the book of Acts. And so we're going to really fly through the ending here. But I think this uh, is a really important part of the scripture because as we uh, have seen, uh, Paul has been sharing about how Jesus has changed his life. And it's, it's radically changed the direction that he was going. Um, and what we see from this is that uh, Paul is a different man because he knows Jesus. Uh, so today our message is take courage. Take courage. In Psalm 27, uh, verse 14, it says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And so Scripture commands us to, to take courage. But my question this morning is, is how courageous are we? If you were to look at your life and the decisions that you've made, is, courageous, uh, is courage a part of, of that description of what you would see from your life? And how do you face some of the challenges and obstacles that you may encounter? Because for many of us, there are disappointments, there's tragedy, there's unforeseen news that hits us at moments when we're not expecting it. But it says to be strong, let your heart take courage. You see, that scripture's not just in the good times, but also in the difficult times. For many of us, our natural reactions may be to shrink back when difficulties or obstacles come. For others of us, we may become paralyzed with fear and anxiety and, and not know what to do next. For others of us, we might be planners and we might be thinking, okay, here's what I need to do. And so we lean in and we start to make our own plans. This past week, I, I got some news that, you know, for, for my family, we rent in, our, in this community here, the home that we live in. And, and I got the news that we needed to, you know, our, that our lease wasn't going to be renewed and that we need to find another place because they're going to be renovating the place that we live in right now. And so I was like, oh, Wow. That's big news. I was already like anticipating that maybe that might be something that was going to happen, but it was like the news that just hit me. And later that night, I was laying down and I was like talking to my wife. I'm like, did you change like the detergent you're using? Because my face is like itching right now. I don't know what's going on. She's like, no, I didn't change the detergent. You know, you're not allergic to it. And so I got up, I looked in the mirror and like there were hives all over my face. And what I realized was that that news had caused my body to react in a way where I got stressed. 
I was anxious, and I looked it up on Google, and yeah, you get, you get hives when you get stressed, and it's usually in your face and in that area right up here where you experience those hives. In that moment, I had to ask myself what was going through my mind, and it was that my mind was going to, how am I going to figure this out? But throughout my life and throughout my family and our experience has been a time and time again that God is faithful and he provides and he's there. But in that moment, I went to, how am I going to figure this out? Where, what, what do I need to do? We got time and, the, and the, the people who own our home are amazing people. They love the Lord and that's been such a gift to us. But God is doing something new. So it's like, okay, what, a, what, what are you doing, Lord? I love this quote. My wife shared it with me. There was a lady who led a Bible study that she was in and, and here's, her name's Laura Georgia Caucus. But here's the quote. It's anxiety is always about the future and imagining a future without God. And that is a lie because God is always with us. Fear is going to, to uh, a place where God is not and there is no such place. Where did my mind immediately go? It went to a future where I got to figure it out and God wasn't in it. But for you and me, what does it look like to take courage and wait on the Lord and understand that he's with us? You're not trying to figure it out on your own strength. And if you're the person who naturally shrinks back or is paralyzed by fear or, or just leans in and said, I'm going to plan this out on my own strength, wherever you land, what does it look like to trust God and take courage? As we studied uh, last week and, and really into this week, the, the last third of the book of Acts, it really is, is Paul's ministry and, and his life coming to an end. This is the last part of his ministry. He's already done the three missionary journeys. He's already accomplished those things. And so it's coming to an end here. And he's constantly experiencing challenge after challenge after challenge because of his faith in Jesus. And in today's text, he's surrounded by this crowd and it makes sense why the last part of his life is called the sufferings of Paul because that's all we see as we're going to study here. But we got to kind of parse it out here. Like what is it that, that's in him that makes him different because this crowd wants to kill him? What's his response? What's his response? You know, because at the end of the day, nobody's trying to kill me, right? <laughs> How do I take courage knowing that there's people who followed Christ, trusted him? How did he respond? Well, we find out he doesn't shrink back. He's not paralyzed with fear and anxiety. He's not even leaning into his own plan, but in this moment, he's courageously trusting God. So how is Paul so calm and courageous when facing death? Facing death. That's different. Our text is, again, Acts 22, and the setting is that he was taken into custody by Roman soldiers because of a riot that started. Uh, his mistaken identity has happened where the guards think that he was this terrorist that had started this coup to really overtake uh, 
the empire there, but, but that wasn't who he was. So Paul explains who he is. He says, no, that's not me. I'm a different person. Um, my name's Paul, like, and here's my story. And in the midst, as they start to talk with him and start to hear his story, they say, okay, like, what, what, are, you, what are you wanting to do? He says, can I just talk to the crowd real, real, really quickly? And he does this in a masterful way where it, there, there were ways of like that, that orators would, would communicate. And so what we see is that Paul does that and silences the crowd that was ready to kill him. And there's this hush that comes over. And so what does he say to them? That's what we're going to look, like, look at. And, and what it does is it uncovers for us where he finds this courage. So we see three, three signs of what Paul believed that gave him a God-centered courage. And, and it was in, in this. It was in knowing, number one, who he was. Number two, who he'd become. And number three, who he saw. Who he was, who he'd become, who he saw. So the first one is who he was. Look at verses uh, two through five. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the, this city. I stuttered, uh, studied under uh, Gamaliel. And, and what we find is that Gamaliel, this is a really important thing to, to understand here. Gamaliel is the same one that we studied back in Acts 5, 34, who said, you know, basically if this Christianity thing, if this Jesus thing is real, then you don't want to go against God. So that's Gamaliel. He was back in Acts 5. You can study more about him there. But, but Paul had studied under him. He, says, he was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. And so where does Paul start this speech that he's sharing with the people that are, again, ready to kill him? Well, Paul is describing what has been called like by us today, like his CV, you know, his curriculum vitae. Like I, I just found out recently, that's what it's called now. It's not called resume anymore. We switched it to CV. Okay. And I'm like, okay. My wife informed me of this and I'm like, fine, I'll take it, you know, but, but, but as he's describing, this is what he's sharing with them. That's the connecting point. He's saying, you want to know my credentials? You want to know who I am? This is who I am. And friends, it's astounding what he's talking about here. The crowd, as they were listening to him sharing his experiences in a city where he lived and many of the leaders would have known him, they would have been astounded by that. Like, wow, that's impressive. That is an impressive CV. And he's explaining his, basically his past life who he was, and at that point in his life, what he'd put his faith in, what he was building. Because we say, well, this doesn't really connect to me today. Yes, it does. Because what Paul was doing was he was building two things. He was building an outward resume, something that people could look at, credentials, 
because we find that Gamaliel here was somebody that he was trying to impress. The group of Pharisees, he was trying to impress them. So there was an outward thing where he was trying to impress this group of people to say, you know what? I'm in your group. I fit in your group. So he's trying to impress them. But we also find on the other end that Paul is doing something else because he shares with us. He says this. He says, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. So it's not just an external thing, but there is an internal list of credentials that he was building in his life. Because the way that he believed God saw him was, I'm doing God's work. I'm, I'm tearing down the, the, the lies about Jesus and all of this stuff that's starting to spread and people aren't respecting the law anymore and so I'm going to go out and make them pay for that. And God is with me. He was building a spiritual resume. So he's explaining his past life and, and as he describes in verses four through five, he lived very uh, boldly, we could say. He lived very boldly to the point where he was asking some of the leaders to encourage him in the direction he was going, saying, this is what God wants me to do. And so as the high priest and all the council can testify themselves, he was the one who obtained letters to go to Damascus. He was on his way to Damascus to go and shut down the church. That's what he was doing. That's his resume. See, he had a confidence and courage in what he was doing. What am I doing? What am I building? Because in the end, hey, I've got God's favor. I'm doing enough for God. I'm doing enough for the people around me. It's all about him. See, today, it's, it's not too different from, from the way that we can build ourselves up. You know, for, for some of us, we think, well, we get to that dark place where we think to ourselves, like, can I do this anymore? You know, like, that, maybe that season, maybe it's like an in-between, like, jobs type of thing. Maybe there's a season that you go through that's a dark time, and you're like, it's, it's not clicking like it used to. And so it's like, where, where do you go? What, 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 is it, what is it that you build your confidence on? Here's all the things that I've done. I can do this. It's what it's called is self-esteem. It's the, it's the gospel of self-esteem. It's the gospel that says, let me lean into myself. Because ultimately, that's what Paul is doing here. Even though he had the God language to match up with it, what he was finding is that he was building himself up on himself. One of my favorite movies is uh, The Family Man, the, Nicolas Cage. Um, he plays this dad. Uh, you know, he wasn't originally like this dad, but it was like he was taken into another life, like, and he was placed into this life where this is what it would have looked like if he would have married this one lady. And basically, he was like dad, kids, all that stuff. Before that, he was like high successful, all this other thing. But like he was like brought into this world where he made this decision. And so he like was terrible at bowling and like I guess dads bowl a lot you know and, and so he was bowling and he was terrible he he takes this ball and he throws it down the lane and it's a gutter ball and he's thinking to himself like I'm so much better than this I'm so much better than the people around me right now 
I have done all of these things that have made me so accomplished. And he's, he's standing there with the ball as he's about to take that second, you know, like, uh, roll. And, and he's, like, looking down the lane, and he's pumping himself up. And he's saying, you know, I've, I've been to these places. I've been in this, the, doing these things. And look at me. And he's, like, and he rolls it, and he hits, like, two pins. And he's, like, success. I've done it. Friends, do you know what that, that is? That's what self-esteem builds up. Is it builds up into two pins and we say, look at what I've done. Look at how great I am. It's, it's, that's the, the gospel of self-esteem. But what is it that, that Paul, his life was built on? What was driving Paul? At this point in his life, he was saying, yeah, that's what was building me up. I just added more and more to the list to make myself feel better about my standing before God, even if that meant persecuting Christians. See, who did Paul, uh, who, who did Paul say it was for? It was for God. Paul's life was about continually building his resume for God, and it had taken him to a very dark place. That's who he was. That's who he was but who he'd become, who he'd become. Look at verses 12 through 16. A man named Ananias came to see him. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood uh, beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to his righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all the people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. See, Paul went from being zealous for God to a healthy understanding of the fear of God. The fear of God. See, he went from thinking that he could earn things from God to understanding that God doesn't need him. But instead, he chooses to love him. And he'd taken him from this dark place and brought him into light. See, let's go back to verses six through eight. In Acts 22, verses six through eight, it says, about noon... As I came near Damascus, right? Remember, he's building his resume. He's, he's, he's going into Damascus. I have a plan. Suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. When it says about noon, we know that noon is the brightest time of the day. But what we find is that when Paul says, you know, it's about noon. He said, I came near to Damascus. I'm going about my day. It's about the brightest time of the day. Suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. Something brighter than the brightest time of day flashed around me, hit me to the point where it radically changed my life. That's what happened. Something that wasn't... Uh, you know, just like, oh, yeah, he just looked into the sun and then blinded himself. No, 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 no. This was something he says was brighter than the sun. He says, I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Isn't that a beautiful picture of how Jesus sees his church, his bride, you and me? He says, if you're, if you're, if you're like, 
basically like if you're attacking my, my people, it's like you're attacking me. Right, so that's, that's what he's saying here. He's like, he's like that's what's, what's happening here. He says, who are you, Lord? Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. See what was happening with Paul? He was in this moment surrendering his CV, surrendering his life, everything to Jesus, everything that he'd accomplished, laying it at the feet, and basically Jesus saying, that doesn't matter. All the things that you thought mattered most, that you thought were the most godly of things, those things could never make you right with me. It's like when the Apostle Paul says, I've accomplished all these things, and in the end, it's all rubbish. If it's all about me, it's all rubbish. But if it's in Christ, it's everything. See, this is, this is a life-changing moment because where do we see this? Well, look at verse 16. We've got to understand this. This is really important. He says, and now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Now, this is important as, as we think about this, right? Paul has been called. There's been a, we say, a, like a regeneration and openness in his heart. He's come to life in Christ, and now there's a step of obedience that he's being asked to take. But you've got to understand about the history of, of baptism because this is important. Baptism was a cleansing ritual. And before John the Baptist, this was only reserved for Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Like when Paul says, I am the Hebrew of Hebrews, now Ananias is coming to him and saying, hey, you've done all these things, doesn't matter. Hebrew of Hebrews, you need to do what the Gentiles needed to do. You need to be washed. See, in Jewish custom, Gentiles needed to be cleansed because they didn't know the law of God. Gentiles were unclean, but he was a part of God's chosen people. I think what helped me really dial this in was a, a quote by Timothy Keller. He says this. He says, if a Gentile wanted to believe in the God of Israel, then Jews said, fine, you can believe, but you have to be baptized. Only Gentiles were baptized. Why? They were unclean, unholy dogs. If they wanted to believe in the God of Israel, wonderful. But they'd never obeyed the law of God, so they were unclean. When Paul tells them in this uh, verse 16, here's what he's saying. Those of you who are born Jews and are fastidious for obeying the law of God are just as unclean, just as defiled, just as lost as the dirtiest pagan. The idea that a Jewish Pharisee, a born Jew, would need to be baptized would have been absolutely astonishing. Do you see this where, where the gospel just says, hey, it brings us low and says, you can't earn it. But it invites you in and says, come wash, be washed of your sins because of what Jesus has done for you. Do you see the beauties of this? Do you see the invitation that humbles us? Do you see what, what he's saying here? Is he's saying, yeah, all those accomplishments that I just told you meant nothing before the God of the universe? Friends, this is the gospel. 
This was Jesus calling everyone to repent of their good works and bad works and place their whole trust in him. In him. Beautiful thing about baptism is you can't baptize yourself. Right? Like you're not going in there like, woo. You know, like, no, that's not what this is. That's a brother or sister in Christ coming up next to you saying, hey, we're going to lower you down and we're going to bring you up. And it's this beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for you as you did not save yourself but God saved you. You did not lower yourself into that water, but somebody else did and brought you back up. That's the picture of what God does in your life. That's what changes you. That's who he'd become. That's what started to define him now. He's a new creation in Christ. Lastly, who he saw. This is important, okay? And so verse 17 through 21. A resurrected Jesus When I turned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Right? The thing that that you think, like for him in that moment, he thought my life's done. I'm not useful. I don't have any use. Like look look at what I've done. Do you think that I could be useful for all the things that I've done, all the terrible things that I've done? Lord, here's what I've done. Is that what he... Jesus was telling him, okay, you need to put your faith in that again? The good things and the bad things, you need to put your faith in that again? No. 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 See, Paul was about to face death. Okay, he was about to face death. The crowd, like they are like clamoring to get a hold of this guy. And so who did he see that gave him the courage to face the crowd in potential death? We see that time and time again in the life of Paul, it says that he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus. Right? Like, do you see it right there in in verse 18? He says, "I, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. How does the Lord speak to you and me today? Right here. Right here. Do you want the Lord to speak to you? Do you want to hear his voice? Do you want to hear what he has to say? Come to his word. It says that Jesus is the word. And before the word was written down, we needed Paul to see Jesus. And, and, and Paul saw him in such a way that it changed his life. See, if Jesus really raised from the dead... Here's a question. Then what did Paul have to fear? Death? Hold on, Jesus already defeated that. Do I have to be afraid of that anymore? Do I have to be bound and paralyzed to face life? If Jesus rose from the dead? I love it where he talks about 
the, the practical implications of the resurrection of Jesus in, in 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about it there. But he gets to this point at the end where he's talking about the resurrection. He's saying this is how powerful it is, that, that Jesus rose from the dead. That's so important to our faith. He says this, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. See, where, where do you get to? Like, where did I get to with, with, with my wife as we were praying and thinking, okay, Lord, what are you doing? It's this, that God has always provided for us. He's always provided. But, but, but my attention has to get off of myself and onto Jesus and see that Jesus is calling me to trust him. See, friends, that's what it is. And, and, and here's the thing. If Jesus has overcome death, he can overcome any obstacle that you and I are facing. See, this changes everything for us. The power of seeing a resurrected Jesus changes our viewpoint on life. There's an article I was reading. I think it's, it was super helpful. It was in uh, Desiring God. He says, the, 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 the title of it is Learn How to Be Brought Low. Learn How to Be Brought Low. It's by a guy named Scott Hubbard. Here's what he says. He says, Bring, being brought low may ruin our plans, but not God's better, wiser, kinder plans for us. If we will learn how to be brought low, we will one day testify I want you to know, brothers, that this bankruptcy has really served to free me from money stranglehold. Or I want you to know that this betrayal has really taught me how to forgive. Or I want you to know that this sickness has fueled my hope for heaven's heaven like nothing else. Friends, is that a different perspective on life? Right? <laughs> Because you know what? If, if we lean into the resume part, the CV, whatever you want to call it, life, we put the label of living in that instead of living as a child of God. And you'll feel worthless. And you feel, but, but that's not resurrection power because resurrection power is looking at a situation and saying, God has something better even though things are difficult now. That's resurrection power. That's how the resurrection breaks through into our life because it's better than what we're currently facing, whatever label we want to put on it. See, Paul was able to stand courageously because he no longer trusted in himself, but he trusted in a God that had the power to overcome the obstacles that he was facing. See, even in our worst we no longer see the worst. We see a resurrection because of Jesus. We see a resurrection. See, oh death, oh death, where is your sting? One theologian said, you know, the only thing that death can do, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't end things for us, but it, it it's only plants us. It plants us. Because what grows out from what God can do, a resurrection life is better than what we thought that death looked like. 
right? Sometimes those plans, those things need to die, guys. And like a friend told me, he says, sometimes you need to take those things, put it in the tomb, wait three days, and let the resurrection power of Jesus show you what it's really about. You know? But who do you see? Paul saw Jesus. He saw a living Jesus. Not a beat-up dead Jesus. He saw a living Jesus. Is that what we see? So some takeaways. What would it look like to, number one, let go of your achievements? Let go of them. Not to ignore them or say that they didn't happen because Paul doesn't do that, right? Not to live some, like, false life, but to say, like, I'm gonna let it go and not make that my identity and who I am, right? Your life is no longer defined by what you know, who you know, what you own, what you've done. How many times do we get caught in the trap of like, oh, well, I need to fit into this category or that category because that's what everybody else is doing and that's the achievements they have. No. See, this is a different perspective completely. Paul was letting it all go and just trusting Jesus, even though it was in the face, flying in the face of Gamaliel who had invested him for all those years. You know how hard it is? I mean, imagine the people that he knew, that Paul knew in Jerusalem, that saw him, who he was before, all of the accomplishments he had, and him standing there as somebody who is treated like a criminal. And the thoughts of what they could have been thinking about him and him saying basically like, yeah, I'm, I'm basically pushing away from all the other things that they taught me because I've seen Jesus. See, some of us can be trapped by what others think of us and that those achievements that meant so much to other people and the acceptance that we got from those people, that becomes more important. And so what Paul's saying is, no, that it, it, it actually isn't that important. The second one is, let God define your identity. See, do you feel it with the, live with the feeling that you don't measure up Constantly walking with your head down, not feeling like you matter. Do you believe that God, what, 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 that, that God is saying the same thing about you, maybe that others say about you, that just brings you low? See, are we putting our confidence in our LinkedIn and how that is currently and looking and what others say about us? Are we comparing our lives to people that maybe are our own age and saying, I should be here by now. These people are here by now. Other people are telling me I need to be here by now. And the question is, is that from God or is that from the world? Is that from God? Is God saying that or is the world saying that and the pressures of other people? Because again, if we are saying let God define our identity, then we're asking, do I actually believe what God says about me? That I'm enough. That the gospel isn't enough for me and I don't have to prove myself any longer. See, where will you find the courage to face the day when you start to find your identity in Christ? Again, there's a great little book. I'm gonna get some more this week and I'm gonna put it back out at the resource area, but it's a book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. 
Freedom of self-forgetfulness. And, and, and here's what Keller writes. He says, you see the verdict is in. And now I perform on the basis of the verdict. What's the verdict? That Jesus says it is finished over your life and my life. So here's what he says. Because he loves me and he accepts me, I do not have to do things just to build up my resume. I do not have to do things to make me look good. I can do things for the joy of doing them. I can help people to help people, not so I can feel better about myself. Not so I can fill up the emptiness. Friends, what it would look like to, to be free from that, that pressure that we feel like we got to build a, up a resume to, to be accepted by others. Because as Paul is courageously standing there, speaking these words, he's trusting that Jesus and what he says about him is, is ultimate and it's true. I remember I was watching ESPN and this, this highlight came up of this UFC fighter. His name's Chris Weidman. He's a Christian. And I remember he had his first loss. And you know, like, that's like a very public thing. Like, you lose. You're done, right? Like, you lost. And what hit me was this moment where he's being interviewed afterwards. And he's like, yeah, I lost today and I can be better. And his dad is standing to the side grabs the microphone in front of this huge audience of people and he says, that's my boy and I'll always continue to love him. And he was cheering for his son even though he lost. Friends, you might feel like a loser. You might feel like you don't have what it takes. You might feel that on a daily basis but you gotta see the father coming and saying, look, that's my child. And I'll continue to love him no matter what because you know what? That's going to be the thing that's going to change you. That's going to be the thing that changes me. That's the grace of God pouring into your life saying, I don't deserve that. But he says, I love you. See, let the resurrection shape your reality. That's the last one. Let the resurrection shape your reality. I was doing a Bible study this week with some friends and and we were just talking, it was like, you know, that, that scripture of like, if God is for us, who can be against us? And I was just like, yo, guys, do we believe that? Like, yeah, we believe it, but like, do we believe it? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do we believe that? Because I, I said, you know, there are parts in my, in my heart, my story where I'm like, I don't know if I'm like quite believing that. Help me, Lord, to lay that at your feet that I can start to believe that God is for me, not against me. Because if I got a father that's up in heaven saying, yo, that's my boy, that's my daughter, that'll change and reshape my reality. Right, because you gotta face the day, friends. I gotta face the day, but it reshapes our reality. See, what's going to fill you with the courage to face the day when you don't know what's going to happen next? What's going to give you the courage that you need when everything feels like it's against you? It's what Paul had discovered in his life. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. See, it's when you see that Je who Jesus was, who he was. He was the, he's the perfect son of God. Yet he, he, 
it says that what he became was that he said he became poor for our sake. Jesus willingly took the lower road to, to communicate that it's, it's what you think it's about, it's not about. He went completely opposite. He says, I'll be born in a barn, not a palace. I'll be treated like a criminal. Not the righteous son of God that he was, the king. Right? Do you see the upside down kingdom of this? Do you see what he's done? What Jesus has done? Perfect sacrifice for our sins, resurrected king alive today. See, when I see that, Jesus, I can go back and take courage when I'm overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. And I look to the risen Jesus in his word that says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are alive, that you are risen, that you are king. And we lay everything before the risen king knowing that you will receive us, not based on what we've done or achievements that we've accomplished, but on the humble work of Jesus. And you call us all. You say that the door is narrow, or the road is narrow, that the, the door to the kingdom of God is through Christ. And so would we lay our lives before you today? and see that you're enough. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.